0: Ephesians chapter 5. Thank you very much, guys, gals. There was a man who drove his car into a ditch. It was an unfamiliar road. It was out in the middle of the country. No tow trucks, no gas stations. Well, there was a farmer nearby who had a strong horse by the name of Buster. And uh, the farmer and Buster came up to put a rope around the car's bumper and around Buster and to pull out this car out of the ditch so the farmer did exactly that took his horse put the rope around the car and the horse and then he yelled out as if to summon the horse pull nelly pull and of course nothing happened the horse didn't budge buster didn't move so he looked at the horse another time and he said pull coco pull and uh, Buster didn't do anything. And then uh, he said a third time, Pull, buddy, pull. No movement. Finally, the fourth time, the farmer said, Come on, Buster, pull. And out came the car pulled by that strong horse. Now, the driver was very appreciative, but somewhat confused, and uh, he asked the uh, farmer Uh, Thank you, but could you just tell me why you called the horse by the wrong name three times before you called it by the right name?" And the farmer smiled and he said, "'Well, you see, Buster is blind, and if he thought he was doing all the pulling by himself, he wouldn't even try.' (laughs) Well, you know, life is a lot like that. If we're doing all the work ourselves, we don't even want to try. Life is all about teamwork, isn't it? Whether it's a a marriage relationship, a friendship, a partnership, it's a mutual pulling together to get the job done. Now, I'm giving this message a title, and I'm going to camp on one verse primarily tonight in Ephesians chapter 5, the book we have been going through as we go through the Bible. But we're going through the Bible very slowly tonight. Usually we cover a chapter, a half a chapter, a quarter of a chapter. We're covering a verse tonight to lay a foundation for the next few weeks as we finish out this chapter. But the name of this message is How to Make Everything Run Smoothly. How to Make Everything Run Smoothly. Now, uh, don't misunderstand. Nothing will ever run smoothly all the time. No relationship, no partnership, no friendship is ever perfect. So for you to expect it to always run smoothly, you will be hurt. Yet I'm calling this message, How to Make Everything Run Smoothly. And here's why. The reason why life doesn't work smoothly is because we are fallen creatures. That's why. We're human beings. We have fallen thousands of years ago. The sin nature has been passed on to us. We are all flawed, none of us are smooth, we're all rough, and because of that we're not always going to apply the vital principle that would make everything run smoothly. And tonight I want to talk to you about that singular principle, that one principle, the vital principle, and that is submission. Submission. It says in our text, in verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Having read that, let's just go back a little bit and tie a few loose ends together in terms of context. In verse 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, in psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God." There is a hinge thought to which all of these continual tense words feed back to, and that is the principle of being filled with the Spirit. There you are, filled with the Spirit, so that you will do these things, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, singing and making melody, giving thanks, and then verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, when I talk to you tonight about this principle of submission, I want to underscore biblical submission. I'm not talking autocratic rule here. I'm not talking one-sided rule. Uh, Submission isn't a word for weak-minded, authoritative husbands to beat their wives over the head with. Uh, This isn't a word for angry parents to wag at their children, submit. Uh, It's not just a word for um, self-styled leaders or pastors to crush the spirits of their congregants with. And that's why we camp in one verse, because of the way it is written, submitting to one another in the fear of God. You see, this is a word for everyone because it is a role for everyone. Everyone at some level of life, at any walk of life, must enter into the role of submission. What does it mean? What does the word itself mean? Well, the word, by the way, is used some 47 times in 32 verses in the New Testament. The word is hupotasso, and it comes from two words put together, as often happens in the Greek. Hupo, under, tasso, to rank, to arrange, to put in a file. And so it means to arrange or rank underneath someone. The idea is to serve. It was sometimes used in a military sense of ranking underneath a commanding officer. It means we get underneath each other. Submission is not a popular idea. If you want to raise the ire of people around you, talk about the need for them to submit to someone. And this isn't a generation in which submission is popular. It's not in vogue. Our Uh, generation. The atmosphere we have produced is one of permissiveness and personal freedom. A Washington lawyer of all professions was interviewed about the law and her relationship to the law as a lawyer, as a person, the need to submit to authority. And she said, to two pollsters who were taking this information down, quote, "'To be perfectly honest, some laws seem to apply to me, and some I disregard. Some tenets of the church add up. Others are absurd or even insulting. I don't need the pope, the press, or some lowly cop to tell me how to live my life.'" maybe not surprising from a lawyer after all. But it is in contrast to the scriptural principle we just read, especially what it ties into. It's in direct contrast to being filled with the Spirit, because when you're filled with the Spirit, it makes you a humble, not a prideful person, submitting to one another. You know, a lot of people claim they have the Holy Ghost on them. And in saying that, I'm filled with the Spirit. I have a gift or an anointing of the Spirit." Somehow they think it gives them the edge to be somewhat abusive to people, to tell them what to do. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, so I'm mad at everybody in Jesus' name. I'm going to point stuff out, hallelujah, what's wrong with you? Glory to God. And, 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 and they, they seem to have this new authority because they're a prophet prophesying under the Spirit of the living God. And often it's no more than just pure hogwash. When you're filled with the Spirit, it brings something to your life, and that is a humility, a gentleness, a submission. What is it based on? If you have your Bible open, you'll notice in the same verse, submitting to one another in the fear of God in the fear of God. That is, we do it because we live our lives knowing we're under the all-seeing, watchful eye of God. David said, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Not, I will walk before the police in the land of the living while they're watching me and go 55 miles an hour. Not, I will walk before my teacher in the classroom in the land of the living. I'm going to walk before the Lord because he's everywhere. So it's in the fear of the Lord. Now, understand that fear of God doesn't mean a a dread as much as an awe, a reverential awe of God. And the only fear that I have is that somehow my life won't be pleasing to him. It means I love him to the extent that my strong goal in life is to want to make him happy, please him, bring him joy, glorify him. And if there's any dread at all, it's because that my life wouldn't match up to that desire that I have, the fear of the Lord. In a home, the fear of the Lord means I want my whole family to fall in love with Jesus, serve Jesus. In a business, it means I want all of my business dealings to glorify God. In a church, it means I want to advance the kingdom of God, not my own agenda, submitting to one another in the fear of God. When you live this way, you have a huge advantage whether it is in a business, or in a partnership, or in a friendship, or in a home. You have an advantage over unbelievers who don't live in the fear of the Lord because it means every decision, every direction you have, you're going to stop and pray about it. You're going to stop and search through the Scriptures to find out what the biblical guidelines are on the decision you're about to make. So it gives you a huge advantage over living any other style of life i.e., that of an unbeliever. So the fear of the Lord enables you to be submissive one to another. Listen to this letter. It was written to Dr. Jim Dobson from a woman. Dear Dr. Dobson, my husband recently left me after fifteen years of marriage. We had a great physical, emotional, and intellectual relationship, but something was missing. We had no spiritual bond between us. Please, She writes, please tell young couples that there will always be a void in their lives together without Christ. A good marriage must have at its foundation him in order to experience lasting love, peace and joy. Since my husband walked out on me, I've tried to rebuild my relationship with God. I am now growing in my walk with the Lord, but I am alone. So that's what it's based on. We know what it means. We know what it's based on, the fear of God. A third thing, how is it practiced? And I draw your attention now to three words in that verse. This is how it's practiced, submit to one another. In other words, submission is not one-sided, it's mutual. See, there's a variety of levels and relationships in which submission is practiced. On a daily basis, in on a scriptural basis. I'm going to give you an example. Let me read several to you. The word is used of Jesus being obedient to his parents in Luke chapter 7, verse 51. We read, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient, hupatasso to them. Same word. It is used in the New Testament of demons being acquiescent to the power of the name of Jesus Christ, Luke 10:17. The 70 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name, hupataso. It is also used of creation as being subject to God after the curse and hoping for salvation in Christ in Romans 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected, hupatasso, to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, hupataso, in hope. Same word used twice. It is also used of society being compliant to local governments, something we sometimes don't like. Romans 13, verse 1 everyone must submit, hupatasso, to the governing authorities. It's used of church members submitting themselves to the leadership of the church. 1 Corinthians 16 and several others, but I'll read this one. Submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. Hupotasso. It is also used of Christians who are in subjection to Christ, who is in turn subject to his Father. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 27 and 28 for he has put all things under his feet. All things were made subject, same word, hupotasso, to him. Then the Son himself will also be subject, hupotasso, to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all." So go back and notice once again, submitting to one another. I know a lot of couples, where the husband knows by heart that his wife should submit. He knows her role very well, but he is ignorant of his role and his submission right here. And before we even get into verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands, you have to tie that into verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is what I want you to understand about verse 21. It is a transitional verse. It's a transitional verse, and I'll explain what I mean. Verse 21 states a principle, and that principle is then exemplified by several paragraphs that follow it. Here is the principle, the principle of submission. It's it's as if Paul is saying, now I'll take you into the microcosm of the family so you can see how submission is to work among all the members of the family. Now having said that, look ahead at the 22nd verse. And what's the second word in the verse? Submit. Wives, submit. Do you know that that word submit is not in there in the original? It's not. It's implied because of the context tied to the principle. But the word submit is not in the original. So it should read, and I just looked it up in a Greek lexicon before I got out here. It should read this, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Principle. That's the principle. Then it says, wives to your own husbands. And then husbands, love your wives. Uh, Children to your parents. Parents to your children. Uh, Employees or servants to your masters and masters to your servants. Now I can detect some men fidgeting about this idea just a tad. Skip, are you trying to tell me, the head of my home, that I am to submit to my wife? Uh Uh-huh. I am, in the sense of this context, not in the same way she submits to her husband, but I am telling you to submit to your wife because it says submitting to one another. And Last time I checked, a wife is in the category of a one another, as is a husband. Well, what do you mean by that exactly? What I mean is what the Scripture says in verse 25, that you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Folks, I can't think of any greater act of submission than to die for someone, can you? That's the greatest act of submission in the world. I love you so much I will rank under you to bear your burdens to the extent that I'm willing to die for you, even as Christ died for the church. The ultimate act of submission was 2,000 years ago on a cross. And that lays the groundwork for husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Then in the next chapter, verse 1, children are to submit by obeying their parents. And also verse 4, chapter 6, parents are to submit how? by not provoking their children to wrath, by training them up in God's ways. And let me tell you, that's hard work. That takes discipline. That takes a certain amount of submission. So submission does not mean being a subservient doormat. It means being a servant-hearted doer of the word, loving enough to get underneath, rank underneath in order to bear a burden submitting to one another. Now, I want to give you an example of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to turn there. You can if you think your eyes will tolerate the light enough to read it. If not, I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Now, verse 3 assumes marriage at this point that the wife has a husband and the husband has a wife. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You see, in those verses, there is mutuality. Both partners are to submit to one another in order to fulfill one another. There's a mutuality in the relationship. Now, the mutual submission does not negate either role, that of the head of the home, the husband, and that of the wife. It doesn't negate the role, but there is a mutual submission. Uh, another text is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to read it, and you can turn there if you'd like. In verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. In that verse, we have a few examples of submission in roles it says, the head of Christ is God. Now, does that mean that God the Father is superior to God the Son, Jesus Christ? No, it doesn't. Oh, but you might be thinking, now wait a minute, didn't I read Jesus one time said, the Father is greater than I? He did say that, and it was correct. He was speaking speaking in terms of role and function, not essence, not person. For example, I would stand before you tonight and say, the President of the United States is greater than any of us. He's not better than any of us. The the governor of the state of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger, (laughs) is greater by virtue of his office, elected office, than any of us. It doesn't mean he's better than any of us. It means he's greater than all of us. So, how is the Father the head of Jesus Christ in essence, in nature? No, only in function and in role. The Son submits to the Father. The Son responded to the Father's wish for the salvation of the world and coming to this earth to die for our sins. So, the issue is not superiority, the issue is functionality. In any relationship there must be a function of roles. And in this case, the son submits to the father. That's needed in government. It's needed in partnership in a business. It's needed in a marriage. Relationships can get complicated. They can get messy. And for that reason, they need to be, let's say, lubricated in a spiritual way. It requires submission to grease the gears of function. The more people you have around you, the messier it gets. If there is a husband and a wife only, you have two relationships. You have the relationship he has with her, you have the relationship she has with him. That's two relationships. Add a child to that mix, and you have six relationships. Number one, the relationship the father ha- or the man has with his wife, the relationship the man has with his child. That's two. And number three, the relationship the woman has with her husband. And then the relationship that she has with her child, that's four. And then you have the relationship the child has with mom, that's five. The relationship the child has with dad, that's six. Add another child to that, you have twelve. And I've met people in our church that have seven children. (laughs) You need a lot of lubrication for that. You need a lot of submission for that. It's a lifelong learning process of submitting to one another to get all those gears meshing properly. I want to ask you something tonight. How do your relationships sound? Smooth? Or clink, What are they like? It could be that you need to bring your relationship to Dr. Jesus for a good tune-up and to add a lot of submission to it submitting to one another in the fear of God. Nine-year-old boy named Craig was asked what he would do if he was on his first date and the date turned sour. He said, I'd run home as fast as I could and play dead. (laughs) And when I woke up the next morning, he said, I'd call all the newspapers and tell them to write about me in all the dead columns. I know a lot of people that do that they run away from a relationship and they play dead. That's, that's how they deal with it. That's how they cope with it. They disengage. They run away. Husbands run away from wives. Wives run away from a marriage relationship. Kids who run away from their parents. People who run away from the church and go to another church. People who run away from God. That's not how you solve problems. You solve them by submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now all of that lays a groundwork for the rest of this chapter in dealing with all of these other relationships. So when we get into it, we'll be able to keep that in the back of our minds. But tonight we're dealing with another form of submission. That's what communion is all about. No greater demonstration of submission than the cross of Jesus Christ. God the Son left the glories and the magnitude of heaven to come and walk this earth and die the death of the cross. He emptied himself. Listen to these words speaking of submission, the words of Paul the Apostle in describing the most humble act of submission in human history. He said, Let this mind be in you and me, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, same essence, same nature, but made himself of no reputation, and you know, a to pour out to the very last drop. Taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Of all of the aspects of Jesus' life, this is the most important, undoubtedly. The virgin birth was magnificent miraculous, glorious, unheard of, unprecedented. The miracles of Jesus Christ while on earth, amazing, incredible, never duplicated. But the focal point of all redemptive history was upon the act of submission that became his death on the cross. It's easy to see that from reading the Gospels. If you read all four Gospels, you'll discover something amazing. Four chapters, four chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four chapters only, discuss the first thirty years of Jesus' life. Eighty-five chapters speak about the last three and a half years of Jesus' life. What do you think the focus is on, the first thirty or the last three and a half? Last three and a half. Of those eighty-five chapters that discuss the last three and a half years of Jesus' life, 29 chapters focus on the final week. And of those 29 chapters that focus on the final week, 13 are focused on the last day of his life. Altogether, all four Gospels, 579 verses are focused upon the final day of Jesus' life. Because all Old Testament history, all pre-New Testament history, anticipates the death, all post New Testament history looks back on the death of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing tonight. That's why Jesus said, do this often in remembrance of me. Even more than celebrating his birth, which we do every year, even though we don't know when that happened. Even more than the resurrection, though we do that once a year, is the cross. We do it often. And he didn't say how often. Some do it once a month, some do it once a week, some do it every day. Do it often in remembrance of me." I read to you Philippians 2. Listen again to the words that describe his submission in verse 18. He humbled himself. That's submission. He humbled himself. He stood before Pilate. He was accused. He didn't utter a word in his defense. They spat on him. They mocked him. They hit him with their fists. They pulled out chunks of beard. And it says, as Isaiah prophesied, yet he opened not his mouth. He didn't say anything. And then in Philippians, and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You know what Paul means by that? This is what Paul means. He's saying, not only did Jesus die, that was bad enough, it's not that Jesus just died on a cross, but he died the most excruciating, humiliating, embarrassing kind of punishment and pain imaginable. Even the death of the cross. Okay, i would named this message, How to Make Everything Run Smoothly. So here's the question I want to close with. How does submission make things run smoothly? Submission makes things run smoothly this way. To be submissive, you have to be humble. Humility, as you know, speaks volumes, whether it's a soft answer that turns away wrath or a kind deed that stirs up the conscience and softens a person's heart. Submission works. Submission works. It speaks what no sermon could ever speak. There was a husband who was with other husbands at a bar. Late at night, wives were at home. They were talking late into the night, drink after drink after drink. They were talking about their wives. My wife would hate it if she knew I was here. My wife knows I'm here and she hates it too. And one guy said, hey, I'll bet you guys money that if we went home right now I could wake my wife out of bed and she would get up without complaining and cook us all a meal. I said, no way, way, he said. No way, they said. Way, he said. So they laid their money on the table and made a bet. Staggering in at two o'clock in the morning, they went to this fellow's home. He walked into the bedroom, woke her up. She came out with the robe, smiling. She made them all a nice dinner. And they couldn't believe it. They blew their minds. I've never seen anything like it. And so they they confessed. They told her what the deal was. He made us a a bet. We we thought, no way. He said, way. We said, no way. He said, way. We laid our money on the table and, and you did it. How could you do all of that without even complaining once? This is what this woman said I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. I know my stay here on earth won't be long and soon I'll experience the joys of heaven forever. My husband is not a Christian. His future is so black and so dismal that I thought I'd make him as happy as I could while he was still here." Hearing her say that so convicted that man, that husband, that within weeks he gave his life to Christ. To see that kind of submission in the name of Jesus brought him to his knees. I felt that way spiritually. When I first heard the gospel, I I considered it, I'd heard it before, but I started thinking about what kind of love God must have to want me so bad that he would give his sinless perfect son and let him suffer on a cross so that skip heights he could go to heaven. And I said, honestly, God, I don't understand that. If that's true, all I can say is you're not the best deal maker in my view you're getting a rotten deal. To give up Jesus to get me? Not a good deal. But for me, it's a tremendous deal. And Lord, I'd be an idiot to pass it up. Yes, I said idiot in my prayer. I would be an idiot to pass it up. That love was so staggering that that kind of submission took place in order to purchase my salvation, that I wanted to be with him forever. And I bowed my head and I said, deal way. And so we celebrate the greatest act of submission, which leaves us with the inevitable conclusion, if God the Son could submit to that to get us, how can we not submit to one another in the fear of God? Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, parents to children, children to parents employees to employers, and vice versa. It's that kind of oil that will make anything run smoothly. Heavenly Father, we pray, we pause, we think about what all this means to us personally. We're thinking back 2,000 years to a A flat portion of land just outside the Damascus Gate, north of Jerusalem, that led to a craggy rocky hill with a seeming face of a skull that appeared there. A place of public execution, a place of ignominious death and suffering for so many who defied the Roman government. We think back to a day where people scurried about at the time of Passover. And looked out on that area and they saw three men being crucified whom they thought must deserve capital punishment only to discover that one was your son sent from heaven to bear the sin of the world, their sin, our sin, to discover he didn't deserve it, but he was submitting to it. Receiving the accusations, the scorn, the pain, what we call the passion of Christ. And we discover that in that passion, he had a passion for souls, and one of them was mine our souls. Lord, with that in our minds, we consider what we just read, that we are to submit to one another, that to be filled with the Spirit produces not arrogance but humility. And that will reflect itself in singing psalms, making melody in our hearts, giving thanks, and submitting to one another. And it will play out in virtually every area of our lives. And when that does, things run smoothly. And so, Father, add. Show us what areas that we're, we're dragging the gears in. This is your body, Lord. These are your people. We belong to you because you bought us. Because you bought us, you have the right to dictate how we live. It's not up to a preacher. It's not up to our individual interpretation. You've told us in your word how you want us to live. And it's our decision to either submit to that or not. And we choose to do it. Your love is so compelling. We think about how hard it is, Lord. It's hard for some of us to submit to that man in our home. Or we think about what some husbands discovered tonight in submitting to the point of sacrificing for that wife. And we're thinking that is so difficult to even conceive of. Some kids who are struggling with parents, they don't even want to hear this message. Honor your mother and your father, that you may live long. Employees, Lord, oh, we've prayed so long for another job, but we have this one, and we're to submit. And there are employers tonight, Lord, that need to learn how to submit graciously in showing love and being fair and being gracious to employees. All of that because you submitted ultimately to what we're about to partake of, to the point of shedding your blood and the pain in your body. Thank you, Lord. We reflect upon these thoughts and make our commitment to you in our hearts just now some of us, Lord, a commitment to Christ for the first time maybe. Maybe up to this point it's been pure ritual, solid religion, no relationship. We want that to change. We personally ask you to come in, take control, give us the same great deal, our life in exchange for the life of your Son, our unrighteous, sinful life in exchange for the pure, righteous, holy life of the Son of God. And Lord, we who have known you confess our sins, asking you to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May these thoughts, for the next few moments, flood our hearts, producing humility, gratefulness, thankfulness, submission. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to pass... I love you with the love of my Lord. It's a song that we have sung before, and no, I'm not going to have you sing it now. But it is something I want to say to you. I do love you with the love of the Lord. To be in a family setting like this, a, a place where the church gathers to express such deep love for Jesus, You know, the Bible says that we love because he first loved us, and he shed his love abroad in our hearts. And John said, if you love God, you'll love his kids. He didn't say it exactly like that, but that's the gist of it. If you love the Father, you love his kids. And I'd say it's a wonderful expression to tell another brother or sister, I love you. For a brother to say to a brother, I love you, And that love should flow between us always. So I tell you as your pastor, I love you. And we love Jesus for what he has done for us.